Well, good morning, church. For those of you I haven't met, I'm Justin Risto, the discipleship pastor here at the church, and it's great to be with you. Great to continue our series, Soul Detox. Um, as you can probably tell from that video, today we're going to be talking about envy and comparison. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. But um, as, as we get started, as we talk about envy and what it is, what we're talking about this is kind of the, the full definition, then I'll give you a short one. Full definition is uh, that feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, success, or possessions. Or simply put, envy is that feeling where you resent what others have. And closely related to that feeling of resentment towards what others have, um, envy and comparison, all the other related ideas is jealousy, covetousness, that desire to win or to be number one no matter what. So that's what we're talking about as we talk about envy. And the reason why we're talking about envy and comparison as a pair is because uh, when we compare what we have or what we don't have with those around us, really what we're doing is, um, as we compare, it inevitably leads us to envy them. And envy and comparison just seems like they go hand in hand. And oftentimes where we start with is that uh, we compare ourselves to others and so we envy. It just naturally connects those two things. Um, and actually, if you want to put just that definition up on there that I mentioned, um, that feeling where you resent what others have. So we talk about envy, though. I don't know where, you, where your mind naturally goes first. Um, but I know for me, oftentimes I think about materialism. Think about how somebody has something that we don't have, and so we want it. Uh, and, and isn't it the worst that just our culture fuels this and feeds this in us? Um, particularly, I, I see this the worst like with technology. Doesn't it seem like about that time you're ready to buy that phone or that gadget or that tablet, you go out and buy it and then what happens? The new one comes out, right? Like right afterwards. Uh, I mean, even with a TV, you know, you go and you buy a TV and then it seems like by the time you bring it home and unpack it and set it up, you end up hearing that there's a better, a brighter, a bigger, a newer TV, and now all of a sudden, what you were content with and happy with five minutes ago, then you go, you know, this isn't as good as I, I thought it once was. It would be nice to have something a little bigger or brighter or clearer or any of that. Maybe it's not technology, though, for you, but maybe it's that, that bigger boat. They think, you know, I just want that bigger boat like so-and-so has. Or maybe it's not that, but it's a car. You know, I just wish I had a little bit of a newer car or a little bit of a bigger car. Or uh, maybe it's your house. You think, you know, I wish I had a house like so-and-so. Uh, a little newer house or a little bigger house or maybe just a house, uh, any of those things. But often we just gravitate towards those things, don't we? And our culture just fuels envy, envy within us and makes us desire it, makes us feel like we're missing out when other people have what we don't have. But maybe it's not material uh, envy for you. Maybe it's a different kind of envy. Maybe it's a, a envy of appearances, that you envy what someone else has the way they look. Uh, maybe you've thought things like, you know, I wish I was a little bit skinnier or prettier. Or maybe I wish that my hair was a little longer or thicker like so-and-so. And this isn't just, you know, a female problem. I know some of you men, as I said, you know, I wish I had thicker, you know, longer hair. You were thinking, all right, it is getting a little thin up top. It would be nice to have a little thicker hair, a little longer hair as well. But we can envy what others have. Uh, we can envy the way they look. Maybe it's not any of those. Maybe it's a relational envy. Maybe right now you're single and you have a friend that, you know, you're close friends, you guys do a lot together, and then they end up meeting someone. They start dating and at first you're excited and happy for them, but as they spend more and more time with that person, you just think, 
You know, I'm kind of missing out. I wish I had that. I wish I had what they have. This isn't, this isn't fair. And it becomes harder and harder for you to genuinely be happy for them, doesn't it? Uh, but it's not just, just single people who struggle with this. I mean, as married uh, people, sometimes we struggle with this. Maybe as a wife, you found yourself sometimes thinking, you know, I wish my husband was a little, uh, little, little bigger help with the kids or a better provider or maybe a stronger spiritual leader in our home. Maybe you've, you've thought about, you know, I wish my husband was more like you fill in the blank. This maybe friend's husband that you have or someone else. Uh, just someone where you feel like you, your husband falls short and that other one doesn't. And husbands, I mean, we can do the same thing. You can see that friend's uh, uh, wife of yours and think, you know, every time I, I see her, it seems like she's building him up. She's not complaining. She's just helping. She's just a huge encour- encouragement. And yet it seems like for me when I'm home, you know, all my wife seems to do is tear me down or boss me around or complain about something. And I wish I had what they have. I mean, envy can take all different shapes and sizes for us, but none of us are immune. I mean, it impacts all of us in one one shape or another. It's just a matter of how, how, how it's infecting us. And as I was thinking about this whole concept, you know, of a detox and toxins, you know, envy is just one of those things that it really is like a toxin, like an infection. I thought about two ways in particular that it really seems like it's an infection. The first is, is this, that it uh, starts inside of us, that it destroys us from the inside out. I mean, just like a toxin or, you know, an infection that you have, we can have it, and it can be wreaking havoc inside of us, but we don't notice it until there's some external expression. So we end up, you know, having some symptom that we can see. We don't know that all this damage is going on inside of us. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 40, or 14, verse 30, it says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I love how another translation says it. It says, envy is like cancer to the bones. I mean, it really captures that sentiment, how envy can really destroy us and eat at us from the inside out. How it can rob from us just that sense of satisfaction and peace and contentment. Um, and we can just chase, chase after those things. And, and oftentimes when it comes to envy, we just deal with the external symptom. We think, okay, I'll stop envying here but we're not dealing with the underlying condition. And so it just continues to grow, continues to fester until it's expressed in another way. And that's why I think it's also um, like an infection because it spreads and it gives birth to other sins. Just like cancer, you know, starts in one part of our body and spreads and destroys, you know, all sorts of other parts have left unchecked. Envy does the same thing. Leads to all other kinds of sins. In the book of James, chapter 3, he puts it this way. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, or this word jealousy can also be translated envy. It's the same word in the Greek. So if you have bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy or again envy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And I love um, in the study Bible that I have at, at home, I love how it described verse 14. It said, Envy and covetousness poison the spirit. They are linked to self-centered and self-serving ambition. These vices blind one from true understanding and are contrary to the love of neighbor. In other words, James is pointing out that when we compare ourselves to others, when we envy others, we're really putting ourselves at the center. And we're more interested about what we have than what they have. You know, we want what they have. We don't care about them. We just want to make sure we have what they have. 
or that we have more than they have, maybe. And in many ways, it's, it's kind of like nitroglycerin. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but nitroglycerin is one of the most powerful explosives in the world. And yet, in its purest form, it's highly unstable. It can detonate just from physical shock, just from that you know, physical contact. It can end up going off. And envy is kind of the same way, that it can just be within us, just waiting, just waiting, and then all of a sudden, it just blows up, and it leads to all other kinds of sins, all other kinds of um, evils in our lives. You look through the Bible, you see this time after time after time. All the way at the beginning in Genesis chapter 4, we read about how Cain envied his brother Abel. How God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. And as a result, this envy grew until finally he murdered his brother. You flip a little further in Genesis 30, we read how Rachel envied her sister Leah. And because Leah could not bear children, and because Leah could not bear children as she could. And then later in that same chapter, they switch places, and it's Leah who's envying Rachel. In Genesis 37, we read about how Joseph's brothers envied him, how they were jealous because Joseph was their their dad's favorite son. And so they decide, you know, we're going to take care of this. Joseph keeps talking about all these visions where uh, us as the brothers are going to bow down to him, and so we're going to put him in his place. So you probably remember what happens. That envy that they had led them to to beat him up, to throw him in a hole, to sell him into slavery, and to tell their dad, you know, he's dead. Your favorite son is dead. You keep going through the the Old Testament. You come to 1 Samuel 18. Read about how King Saul envied this shepherd boy, now become warrior, David. That uh, King Saul, you would think, you know, he's completely content with all that he has as the king. He hears the people singing this song about how uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, or his tens of thousands. And it's from that point forward that he decides, I'm going to destroy David any chance I get. Where he physically tries to kill him himself, as well as with his men, tries to hunt him down time after time after time. You turn to the New Testament in Mark chapter 15, we read about how Jesus was a subject of envy. How the chief priests, because they envied him, they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. When you look all through the scriptures, you look in your own experiences, in your own life, and envy is present in, in some shape, in some form, and it leads to other sins as well. That once we've been infected by envy and comparison, it'll unleash all kinds of havoc on our minds, on our hearts, on our relationships with others. It's just a matter of time if we don't deal with it. And so I guess the question at this point is, are you ready to change? Do you want to change? Do you want to begin to fight and uproot Envy and comparison in your own heart and in your own life for your own sake and for the sake of those around you. If, if you are, which I hope you are, and this, um, um, if you are, then, then first I would just say you need to give it, give it a name. Or in other words, um, I, think we, I think we said, you know, identify it. You know, where is that infection in your life? Where are you infected? Uh, because envy always has a name. And so who do you most often compare yourself to? You know, think about that. Who do you most often compare yourself to? I want to encourage you, you know, if you can think of that person right now, write it down. Write down that name of that person. Most often, the person we envy is someone we closely identify with, someone in a similar situation to us. You know, maybe it's another mom that you envy. Maybe it's a coworker that you envy. Maybe it's even a sibling or a friend of yours that you envy. But often it's someone in a similar situation that we envy. Let's just say... Uh, for you, it's your coworker that you envy. You know, let's say his name's John, and that John's been working at your company a little less time than you. 
you know, he's good at his job, but, um, um, you know, you don't pay much attention to him. You kind of do your own thing. You know, he's a nice enough guy. Uh, but then a promotion comes up at work. And do you ever have these thoughts? You know, I deserve this promotion. You know, you apply for it. You hear John's applying for it. And you think, you know, I deserve this a lot more than John. I've been here longer than him. I'm older than him. I'm better at my job than he is. I mean, I'm the one that deserves this. I should have this. If you find yourself ever thinking those thoughts, that's you comparing yourself. Thinking, you know, I'm better than him. I deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. This is mine. Maybe it even leads you to these thoughts. You know, he gets the job and you don't. Do you ever then think at that point, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm genuinely happy that he got this. I would have liked it, but you know what? He's a great guy. He'll do a great job at this. Or do you start thinking, you know, it's not fair. I deserved that position. I was the one better qualified. I should have had it. Do you, do you genuinely rejoice with him or start talking badly about him or start discrediting him? Because you wish you had that, but instead he has it. I mean, where is it for you? Envy has a name. It's directed at someone. It's not anonymous. So who is that person for you? Or who are those people for you? Write it down. Because if you want to begin to fight it, you've got to identify where it is in your life. In addition to that, once we identify it, we need to, to first stop comparing ourselves to others. We need to stop comparing ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says this, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. In this passage, Paul's talking about how the Corinthian church is comparing him to other Christian leaders, other leaders that they've known, other leaders that have come through. But Paul just reminds them, what's the value in this? You know, notice what he says at the end. They are without understanding. Or, or another translation says, this shows that they know nothing. That in other words, comparing him to another leader, that it's of, of no value, that, that it's really a pointless endeavor. And again, we said, it's almost natural for us to compare what we have or what we lack with those around us to see how do we measure up? How do we, how do we stack up against them? And yet Paul just reminds us it's a losing game. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. I mean, think about it. We can compare ourselves with others, but what we're going to find is someone always has more than us, someone always has less. And even if you gain what they have, isn't it true that you end up finding someone else? has something greater or has something else that you still want. That it's, that it's really like a, a mirage. You can just chase after it and chase after it and think, I'm getting closer. I'm almost there. I almost have it. And then when you get there, you think, okay, no, this isn't it. There's something greater. There's something more that I want than, than this thing. And, and we've seen this. I mean, even studies have been done about this to show, to show this. I know one I read about is from an author uh, who's written a lot of books on uh, money and wellness. And he even, in his experience, has done this quiz hundreds of times over the years. And he asked people two questions, two simple questions. He asked them, how much money do you make right now? And then the second question was basically, how much do you think you'd have to make to be happy and content in your life? And what he found over, you know, more than nine times out of ten is people said, I need to make about double what I make now, and then I'd be totally satisfied and happy and content. And yet he also found, even when people made that, their new number was double that. So if they're making 50000 a year, they said, you know, if I made a hundred, I'd be content, I'd be satisfied, have everything I need. 
And then even if they made that, he'd ask them that same question. They'd go, you know, if I had 200, then it'd be enough. It'd take care of everything that I want. I'd be completely content and satisfied. And again, it's because as we compare ourselves, as we envy others, it's insatiable. We can just chase after it and chase after it, but we're never going to get there. We're never going to be satisfied if we chase after that. So stop. Stop comparing yourself to those around you. Stop thinking about how do I stack up as a mom, as a coworker. Um, stop just doing that. It's really useless, and all it does is it, it makes us, I guess it gives us the wrong focus, you could say. I mean, you think about it. When we compare ourselves, our focus becomes them. What do they have that we don't have? And instead, if we're going to stop comparing ourselves, stop looking out there, we need to look right here and go, what is it that I have right now I can be thankful for and I can be grateful for? And that's why we need to start practicing gratefulness. Start focusing on what you do have rather than on what you don't have. Rather than on what they have, focus on what you do have and start practicing gratefulness. And the reason I say practice it is because it doesn't come natural, does it? I mean, if it did, would you have to teach your kids to say thank you? You know, they would just do it, right? They'd just be like, yeah, mom, thank you for that. You wouldn't have to teach it to them and teach it to them so that it becomes a habit in them. It becomes something natural that they do, but you have to develop it in them at first. It's not something that just happens on its own because by default, we tend to focus on what we lack, on what others have rather than on what we have. Uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, notice what Paul says. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how it uh, puts it here. Giving thanks always and for everything. Notice how it doesn't say, sometimes give thanks. If you feel like it, give thanks. If you have a good day, give thanks. But it says, giving thanks always. Notice also, giving that it's something that's active. It's not a one-time thing that you do. It's something you continually do. It's not something we just do on Sundays where we give thanks, say, God, thank you for this, or once a year at Thanksgiving where we say, you know, thank you. But giving is to be continual, to be active, something we continually do in being grateful for all that we have, for all that we've been given. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul repeats this same idea. Notice what he says. Again, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And one thing that I just want to point out from this, again, he repeats that, he give thanks, but notice that he says, in all circumstances. He doesn't say, because of your circumstances, give thanks. He says, in all circumstances. In all circumstances we find ourselves, we can give thanks. He doesn't give us an excuse and say, well, if your situation's really bad, you don't have to be thankful. But he says, in every circumstance, in every situation you find yourself, wherever you feel like you may have lack, you can still find reason to give thanks. Sometimes we don't give thanks because, again, we focus on what they have or what we lack or what we think we want, what we think we should have, instead of going, what can I, what can I be grateful for in the circumstances I'm in with what I have right now? And so instead of thinking things like, you know, I wish I had a house like theirs. You know, ours is too small, the furniture's worn out, the decorations, you know, aren't, aren't as nice as I'd like them to, or, you know, my kitchen is just too small, or it doesn't have the countertops that I like, or, you know, the appliances, or that double oven that I've been dreaming of. Instead of focusing on all those things that maybe your friends have, or coworkers, or those people around you think, what can I be grateful for? I can be grateful I have a home. I can be grateful that it's 
with the, the neighbors that I have or in the city that it's in or just even the sheer fact that, you know, we have a home that others can come over. We can invite our friends, our family, others, and just be blessed. As we have a home, we can open up, we can entertain, we can be hospitable and just enjoy that time together. I can focus on all that I don't have or I can focus on what I do have, on what God has provided. I know this this principle of practicing gratitude, something uh, my wife Cammie and I have, have really learned the value of over the years. Uh, about five years ago, she started teaching full-time, and um, she started in, in mid-December, and the job she got was teaching uh, junior high math. And so just thinking about that, you know, okay, that was probably a challenge. Um, and yes, it, yes, it was. But on top of that, the kids she was going to be teaching were just a huge challenge, I mean, even one of the days, I think she had the janitor come in and say, hey, it looks like things are going well. And she wondered, you know, how does the janitor know if things are going well or not? And he said, oh, yeah, before with the other teacher, I mean, there would be days upon days where I'd come in and it looked like it snowed. There'd just be trash and paper and just stuff everywhere. Uh, Because these kids were just, they were a handful. They were just out of control. And so she had a a lot of challenges that semester. She took over and tried to get things under control and tried to teach them. And it was pretty difficult for her. And I know oftentimes we find ourselves at dinner sitting down saying, you know, how, how was your day? And it would be easy for her to just start going, oh, you know, this is what happened today. And start listing off all these negative things, all these challenges from the day. And I'm, I'm the optimist in the relationship. Um, and if you're the pessimist, you probably know what's coming next. You know, I said, all right, all right. Don't just focus on that, but tell me three good things from today. And you probably know if your spouse is the optimist, you're the pessimist, you're thinking, come on. I don't want to do that. I want to focus on the negatives, okay? I don't want to think about any positives. But, but we talked about this. And some days she would come home and go, all right, give me a few minutes. I got to think about just even one positive thing from the day. But then one would come out. And then she'd come up with a couple more. And what we found is it changed her outlook, changed her focus as she focused on those good things, on those positive things. Even though she could focus on all the negatives, on all the things that weren't as they should be, weren't as she thought they ought to be, but instead she focused on those positives, focused on all that she did have, all the good things that were taking place. So again, we said we can focus on our lack and never be satisfied, or we can choose to practice gratitude. Instead of focusing out there, we can focus right here and go, what do we have that we can be thankful for? Relationships, could be stuff, could be all kinds of things. The job that you have. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can be thankful for and grateful for. And so if we're going to fight envy and uproot comparison from our lives, we said we need to first stop comparing ourselves with others, and we need to shift our focus. Envy says focus on what others have. Focus on what you wish you had or what you think you should have or what you think you deserve, and instead... We said to fight envy, we need to focus on what we do have. But this is only part of the treatment. It's kind of like with cancer. Typically, you'll have chemo or maybe chemo and radiation. And what's the reason? It's to shrink the cancer, right? But then in almost every case, surgery is kind of that next step, to completely remove it from your body so that you can be healed and whole. And that's what we're saying here, that if we want to uproot envy, it requires us to remove Another lie that envy feeds us. Envy says contentment comes from getting all you can, from gaining what others have, from gaining what you feel like you deserve or what you feel like you need. But that's a lie. If we look for contentment from external things, from our circumstances or from our stuff, we're never going to find it. 
If we're always looking at, if I just get what they have, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content, then I'll have enough, we're never going to find it. We'll always be blaming someone or something for a lack of contentment or lack of satisfaction. I mean, you think about it. You'll probably just think things like, you know, if I continue thinking things like, if I just found that special someone to marry, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had those looks or that kind of spouse, then I'd be content. If I just made a little bit more money, then it'd be enough. If I just had that new car, that new boat, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. But again, we said, you can look for those things, you can chase after those things, but it's never going to satisfy you. Those external things are never going to satisfy you. And that's why uh, I say, look to God for contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul's going to expound on this whole idea of where do we turn to find true contentment, true peace. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Notice what what Paul says. I've learned the secret to be content at all times. I've learned the secret to being content regardless of my situation or my circumstances. Isn't that what we want? To be content and satisfied and at peace and not continually chasing after what others have that we want. And Paul says, I've learned in whatever circumstance, regardless of what you have or don't have, regardless of what those around you have and you don't have, you can still find peace is what Paul tells us. And it's not a theoretical piece either. I mean, notice how how Paul is saying, I've learned this. I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be content when I have little or when I have a lot. It's not something he's just talking about, this is how you do it, but I've never done it. He's saying, I've done it. Let me just remind you about a few situations Paul faced. Uh, Paul, he faced enemies who sought to hurt him, discredit him, and oppose him. Paul was bivocational, so he was a missionary as well as a, a businessman. And I'm sure that brought his fair share of challenges with his time and with uh, having enough money to take care of himself and continue what he wanted to do. Paul was single or possibly a widow for part or all of his life. He possibly had some kind of physical ailment or difficulty that he faced. And yet through all that, Paul says, I've learned to be content. And it wasn't as if Paul just woke up and said, today I'm content says, I've learned. I've learned to be content. This isn't just something that happened on its own. Regardless of circumstances, I've learned to be content. And just even this word content that's listed in this verse in the Greek, it carries with it this idea of of, uh, inner strength or inner peace apart from circumstances. That it's kind of this strength, this peace that you can have apart from what's going on all around you. Apart from what you have or don't have, you can still have this contentment, this peace. And it's been said that you and I can't control our circumstances, but we can control our response to our circumstances. We can control how we respond and who we turn to in our circumstances. And so Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, Paul's saying the source of my contentment, the source of my satisfaction is not defined by the things around me. It's not defined by what I have uh, It's not defined by how I measure up to those around me, but Paul says I can face anything, I can do anything with God's presence and power to sustain me. That I can face anything, I can do anything if I have God's power and his presence to be with me, to strengthen me, to get me through this. 
And so true contentment ultimately comes from God. God strengthening us, satisfying us, carrying us through any situation that we may face. Even when we feel like we may be missing out, when my life isn't as it ought ought to be, when you find yourself thinking those things, you can find contentment if you're willing to look to God. If you're willing to, to not seek it on your own, to not look for it out there, but to look up for that contentment, to look to God for that contentment. And this isn't in your notes, but um, you might be thinking like me, uh, I tend to go to, okay, how do I do this? What does this look like practically? And, and I, I didn't put this in your notes today, but if you just were to look a few verses earlier in chapter four, and we'll put this on the screen, in verse six, notice what Paul says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, or again, those things you worry about, those things that you wish you had, don't be anxious about those. But instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Notice that. Paul says, pray. Tell God about it. Bring, bring those worries, bring those uh, things that you wish were different in your life, those things that they have that you think you should have, bring those to him. Pray. And notice how God's going to respond in verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. They says he'll provide peace. If we're willing to seek him for that contentment, willing to turn for him, he'll provide that peace that we're looking for. If we're willing to lay those things uh, at his feet, to look to him, that he'll provide that, that peace. The Bible reminds us uh, in other places that God will provide all that we need. Doesn't mean we're gonna get what we want or what we think we should have, but we're gonna have God's peace And we're going to have all our needs met if we'll seek him, if we'll turn to him, and if we'll trust him. So in the places where you lack, the places that you envy others, the places you compare yourself, I want you to, uh, again, bring those things before God to pray and to trust God to provide. He'll provide his peace, and he may even provide that thing you're praying for, but he's going to provide your needs from what we see from the scriptures. So there's a lot of things I I know I've, I've covered today. A lot of things I've talked about, but I want to give you something very practical, um, very practical to do as a result of everything we've, we've discussed. And as I mentioned, one of the most powerful ways that we can fight envy and really shrink envy in comparison in our lives is to practice gratitude. And so I want to give you one thing to do this week to, to practice it and to do it. And um, even before I do that, I found it interesting that um, these last verses, if you notice in here, Notice what Paul says after he says, uh, in everything by prayer and supplication, he says, with thanksgiving. Again, as you're praying, as you're laying those things before God, give thanks again. Have, have thanks in the midst of that. So the gratitude challenge, let me unpack for you what I want you to do this week, every single day this week, starting today. Every single day, I want you to write down 15 things that you're grateful for that day, okay? 15 things. Now, as you go through the week, make sure they're unique, okay? So no, like, saying, okay, ditto. What I said yesterday, I'm thankful for today, okay? 15 unique things, 15 new things that day that you're grateful for, every single day, okay? Every day that you go through this week. This might be little things. You know, it might be, God, thank you that Starbucks exists. Or maybe something large, like, God, thank you for my spouse, or thank you for my job, or thank you that this happened today. Um, It might be small, it might be large, but just think, what can I be grateful for today? Come up with 15 things. Secondly, I want you to read out loud your list to God every day. So express your gratitude out loud to God every day. 
And uh, don't just read that days, but read everything up to that point, okay? And uh, maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not a good prayer. I don't know quite how to do this. Um, that's okay. Just keep it simple. God, thank you for, and read your list, amen. Okay, I don't feel like you have to get all elaborate or anything, but just read those out loud to God. So you hear them, so you express them to God, um, and say those. If you do this every single day, um, after seven days, you'll have over 100 things to be grateful for, to be thankful for, just by starting with 15 every single day, okay? Now, as you do this, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, ask someone else to do it with you, okay? So maybe it's the person next to you. You go, okay, I want them to do it with me. I'd encourage you uh, maybe to ask that person that's more negative. Maybe you want to ask them to do it with you. Why, why I mention that is because, for one, that's going to give you a better week, I'm sure, just having them focus on the positive. So that should be something to be grateful for. But the other reason is because I think sometimes in those negative people, as they focus on the positive and you begin to see the difference it makes on their outlook and on their attitude, it encourages you to keep doing that same thing, to keep making sure you're being grateful, you're being uh, thankful for all that you have. And so ask someone else to do it with you. If they're hesitant, uh, just tell them about this study that I came across. In one study they did, they had people write down three things every single day uh, that they were thankful for, to kind of write those out, you know, what was it, kind of kind of take some time to do that. What they found is that in the people that did that every single day, their amount of depression lowered and their happiness, their kind of uh, outlook on life increased for up to six months. Uh, just by doing something as simple as that. And so I just want to encourage you, ask someone else to start this journey with you. And then secondly, um, share your results with others. You know, maybe when you meet in your small group this week, you know, share with them, hey, here's what I have so far on my list. Or, you know, here's kind of what I've noticed this week because I've focused on the positive, focused on the things that I'm thankful for. Here's the difference. Maybe when you sit, sit at your table and have dinner with your spouse or your kids or uh, whoever during this week, maybe you just go, you know, what's the 15 things each of us have today that we're thankful for? To just share those with one another. Um, I, I know I'd love to hear, you know, what difference has this made in your, in your week? You know, share that with me. I, I'd love to have that. But share it with others too. Because my hope for my life, my hope for your life, is that we're a grateful people. And as we seek that, as we seek to be thankful for all that we have, it's going to begin to diminish and to minimize the envy, the comparison in our own lives as we seek after that instead. So as we close, I just want to pray for you. Pray for this week ahead and the challenges that will come with it. So if you want to just bow your heads with me. God, you know how much each of us is impacted by envy and by comparison. You know how much we struggle with it, how much we um, just struggle to be satisfied with life, how we look to, to all other things to be satisfied rather than looking to you to be satisfied as well. And so God, this week, would you help us? Help us learn how to be content in every circumstance. Even when we feel like we lack something or we want what they have, help us to, to instead focus on what you have provided to lay those things before you, seeking you to provide your peace, to maybe provide that thing that we seek, or if nothing else, you provide yourself in the midst of that to sustain us and carry us through that. So God, would you be our strength and our provision this week? And God, would you just bring to mind all that we can be grateful for with each day that passes, with each day that we face this week? 
And so God, we just pray this in your name. Amen.